and welcome to The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. And now, our feature presentation. Today on the Last Looks podcast, I'm speaking with hair designer Barry Lee Moe. Barry has done hairstyling on everything from opera to Broadway to live music touring and is now focused on his work in the television industry. Barry is a rising star in the world of TV hair and you can see his work on fantastic shows like Pose, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Hollywood. You won't want to miss his words of wisdom in this episode. Welcome to the Last Locks Podcast, Barry. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. Now, I would like you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Yes. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a boy named Barry, and when he grew up, he wanted to be... This is probably a common answer, but I wanted to be a marine biologist. <laughs> <laughs> to school with so many kids that wanted to be marine biologists i'm not sure what it is about the sea and the animals in the sea but there's Mm -hmm. something that relates artistically to creative fields because i know a lot of people who are very into animals and the ocean that Mm -hmm. are now hairstylists um yeah i don't know why but it's always been something that spoke to me as a child and then I moved on beyond that but that was what my plan was originally (laughs) (laughs) I I think I know a yeah musician who also wanted to get into marine biology it's yeah definitely the creatives I don't know there's something about underwater isn't there it's like another another land yeah and there's so many beautiful design lines and, Mm. and inspirational things in the water that are visual as an artist that you kind of respond to but then when I left middle school I in high school I started focusing on computer programming whoa that's a completely different it was and I thought (laughs) that I even looked into programs in college to become a computer information systems major which was like coding and programming and wow it's something I'm I've always loved computers but it was a a weird (laughs) focus for me at the time thank god for theater I <laughs> I remember in high school when we started when they touched on programming stuff and I'm pretty sure the teacher was he he said something along the lines of like some of you will just get this immediately and some of you just won't <laughs> right like it was just like a certain type of brain can just jump into that type of thinking and others are going to struggle big time and I was just like yeah I do not know what you are talking about or what we are doing <laughs> And I was the one who was like (laughs) building my own secret programs outside of the class assignments, trying to do things that I just, because I'd gotten the stuff we were assigned anyway, you know, always seeking information. (laughs) So, okay. So then how do we move from that onto the next? Well, I, in high school, I got involved in theater and it, it was something like singing was a huge part of my childhood. I took voice lessons and it was the other side of my life and my parents weren't really 
didn't really see that as a viable career option. So I, of course, entertained it by being involved in theater as much as I could performing. And then I found my way into a theater school in Wisconsin, a small private school called Viterbo with a V, mm-hmm. like Victor. Yeah. And I got accepted on a scholarship and majored in music theater performance, but I quickly wasn't feeling it. Um, I was happy to be surrounded by creative people mm. and in that environment, but I started doing work study in the costume shop because I needed to have a work study job to make a little extra money. Yeah. And that's when I met this costume designer, Jeff Stoltz, who's no longer with us, but he had me building costumes for the productions at the college because I knew how to sew from my Mm. mother. And so I was sewing and building costumes and he just one day brought me a box of wigs um, that the nuns had donated. It was a Catholic college from the convent. And he's like, I have this production coming up. Would you want to try doing some of the wigs for it? And I was like, yes. I saw this box of old wigs and I'm like, (laughs) this this looks promising. And he Mm -hmm. immediately wanted to build these sculpted wigs and hand paint them all from these old synthetics. And I knew nothing about wigs at all. I had never touched one, but I was down for it. And together we kind of built all of these crazy wigs and hand painted them after sculpting them with Mod Podge and different types of glue. And it kind of set my brain in a different direction. And that's when I started to really think about wigs and hair as a viable option for the future. And he then encouraged me to apply for internships in the summers between years in college. Mm. And so I started spending every summer in this place called Chautauqua, New York, which was a, it's an institution that has their own opera company, theater company, ballet company. It's a little gated community in Chautauqua, New York. And the opera company is the only one that was a professional company. So people were brought in and paid to be there. And I was an intern there. And I met this woman named Georgie Everhart. And she had worked at the Met and with Pavarotti and all of these famous opera singers. And she took this little 18-year-old boy who knew nothing about anything (laughs) and started mentoring me and teaching me how to do roller sets and how to apply wigs and lace fronts and facial hair, how to style it. And I spent, I think, three years with her going there every summer. And she really taught me everything I needed to know about theatrical hair and makeup. Mm -hmm. And then we continued on and went to Florida together. And it was just a, one of those mentorships that I still think back on because she, she was part of, I don't know if you remember this company called Elson Associates. Mm -hmm. It was in the States. It was a wig company that styled wigs and they would hire out their artists to regional productions. Oh, cool. So they were all trained by Elson Associates, this company. So they mm-hmm. had the same skill sets. And then they would kind of almost like an agency send their people out to opera companies to work. I could be getting all of that wrong, but that was my understanding <laughs> of it at the time. Well, it's more than my understanding because I hadn't, yeah, not growing up in the States, I didn't, I'd never heard of them. And these were all old school theatrical and opera artists that really had all of the foundational information about period hairstyling and and everything that it took to do that that's cool so that was uh, were you part of that or was no I wasn't part part 
she had been part of it and then she oh, kind of okay. went out on her own mm-hmm. because she started getting hired to design all these regional operas and at the time I was having fun and learning and it took me out of it took me to a different city um, every year and I got to meet new people young singers and it's just that environment that as a young artist you love to be in because you feel surrounded by like-minded people and I was really enjoying what I was doing. Yeah, it's kind of quenching that thirst, isn't it, to just get in there and... Yeah, and when you're that young, I I don't think I really saw it as a career necessarily. I was just kind of exploring this idea of hair and makeup. And when you're young like that and kind of green, Mm. you're just having fun. And I think sometimes I wish I could go back to that time in my brain because you just perform so differently when there's no pressure. You just are free to make mistakes and to take as much time as you need to to learn something. And there's something romantic about that time in your life as a creative person to explore all of that without so much riding on your shoulders from a production standpoint. (laughs) Yeah. Like, am I going to get fired? Yeah. (laughs) I took three hours to get this done today. Um, We're we're holding the camera. You know, (laughs) it's just a different... A different mindset when you're young yeah absolutely. but it's good to remember that because I think we all have that youthful part of us inside of us still and mm. we sometimes push it to the background because we are so serious in what we do now that you lose sight of that inner child and I think it's good to bring elements of that to your life even when you're 70 years old because it keeps you well-rounded as a person so how do you do it I try to not ignore it. Right. I think that's the thing. You know, you there's there's different times in my life when I've worked on projects with people and I'm like I'm reminded of the freedom I had when I was that age. I wasn't scared to take risks. I wasn't scared of messing up. I wasn't scared mm. of impressing anyone. And I think sometimes trusting that you can do something without the fear of messing up, it's important to listen to that and try it, you know. Yeah. But it's easier said than done because we have so much. It's 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 a different environment that we're working in now. So so how how do you figure out at what point like oh I can actually do this for a living? I think what happened was I finished a summer in in upstate New York and I moved to New York City on a whim. One of the young artists that I was friends with she said what are you doing after this I said I don't really have a plan I was living in Chicago at the time and my lease was up and Mm. she's like why don't you come live with me in New York and I had a thousand dollars to my name and no plan at all and she's like just come live in my place you can pay me fifty dollars a week her name was Shoshana and she said I'll feed you and I'll give you a place to live until you figure things out so for two hundred dollars a month I had a place to stay while I got my footing in New York. And Mm -hmm. I just went for it. You know, I I was terrified because I didn't really have a plan. And anyone who knows me now knows that I always have a plan. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Too many plans sometimes. But it was great. I mean, it all worked out. I was in New York for about a month before I got my first job. And I was just sending out resumes. Um, At the time, I was on all of these publication websites like Backstage and, and different theatrical touring job post sites that kind of had different opportunities available. And I was sending resumes like crazy with the limited experience that I had and waiting tables 
in the meantime. And one day I got a phone call when I was at work and it was an offer to do the national tour of Seussical the Musical. It was the third national non-equity tour. They said, here's what we pay. Can you fly Mm -hmm. out on Monday? I said, yes, let's do it. And I just left New York and did my first Broadway tour. And it was it was crazy because non-equity tours are are challenging. There's no rules. So we did, I think the longest stretch of shows we did was 17 one-nighters in a row where we were in a different city every night, loading in and loading out. Oh my God. But it taught me so much about working under any circumstance and being able to to do it. Mm. And I still think about that today because we're always tasked with impossible situations and having to to figure out how to make it work. And when you think back on some of those experiences, you're like, we've got this. We can do it. Yeah. We can do anything. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that tour then led me into working with this production company and doing a couple of their tours where I was doing I was doing hair and wardrobe because that's how the position was it was uh taking care of both so wow it was great I learned a lot about theater and the ins and outs of every department and what it took to successfully mount a Broadway scale production and maintain it Mm. And by doing three different shows with them, it gave me enough experience to feel confident in running any kind of theatrical production. And I kind of just continue to bounce around after that. I go from tour to tour. And then I ended up in Miami at one point because I had applied for a full-time position at Florida Grand Opera with Michelle Diamantides and Chris Diamantides, who now work in TV and film. Mm-hmm. mostly film. But they ran Florida Grand Opera at the time. Michelle was the hair and makeup designer there. And Chris, her husband, was working under her. And I was hired again as an intern. And I learned, that's when I really started to learn about proper wig making and application. Um, Michelle was so patient with me. She taught me everything I needed to know to build a wig from scratch. And we started with facial hair and I built sideburns and mustaches for a long time until Mm -hmm. she felt I was capable of moving on to other projects and she also taught me just continue to advance my ability to style wigs because she was just a masterful styler styler stylist (laughs) (laughs) she was so such a great period hairstylist and always so creative in her approach to things we built cage wigs and we we did a whole production of Aida where we built all the wigs from scratch. And it was just continuing to build on that foundational training that I had started with Georgie back in New York. Yeah. And I'm so grateful for that time too, because it just, it kind of started to get me in check because I was still young and because theater and opera are fun, like as artistic communities, we like to have fun. We're creative people and we enjoy each other's company. Mm. It can very easily not feel like work. And when you're young and not super focused yet, you know, you need someone to rein you in and make sure that you're fully focused. Because at in my early 20s, like I still, I wasn't ready to be serious about anything. I was yeah. still trying to Why would take you? it all in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're just, you're just learning who you are. Yeah. But it was such a great, I spent almost a year there. I ended up leaving that job early because I got a phone call to interview to go on tour with Tori Amos, the singer, who was a, was a big recording artist, piano player. Mm, yeah. And 
I had no idea who she was. I was not big into music other than show tunes when I was younger. So I didn't have any reference. Um, And so when I got the call, I was just kind of like, sure. And, you know, any I assumed I'd be doing her backup dancers, which she doesn't ever have backup dancers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, no, you're going to be doing the artist. I was like, okay, sure. I only know how to do theatrical hair and makeup. So they said, well, that's okay. She's going to be wearing wigs on this tour. And could you fly to London for a test? And I said, I'd never left the country, really. And I was like, yeah, let's go. So I flew out to London. I had all of these instructions that had been sent to me in an email to go to Paddington Station to switch to this train because she lived down in Cornwall at the time. And I had to take a train down to Cornwall. And all of this was so foreign to me. I felt like yeah, I'm going to screw this up somehow. <laughs> How am I going to get there? But we got there and I did the test and met her makeup artist and hairstylist from the past, Jenny Clark, who lives in LA here as well um Mm -hmm. and it began the kind of relationship that lasted for 10 plus years wow that's very cool do you feel like because you weren't a like didn't really know her music or who she was that it was a little easier to kind of you didn't feel like you had as much writing on it like you're a little more relaxed going in I was. I definitely was. I mean, still to this day, I enter every situation extremely in extremely humble mode because mm. I I never like to assume anything. And even when I you've had all this experience or you've worked with all these people, I still feel like every day is brand new and there's something to be learned. So I always enter into a situation quietly and, and try to just be present and to make myself available for the work and to do a good job. So that's how I approached that job because there's also that feeling of the imposter syndrome that you don't want to be found out, you know, that (laughs) I'm this young kid. Why Mm. did she pick me? Mm. I don't know anything. Um, So I want to just try to take it all in and observe and watch and learn. Yeah, don't question it, just go with it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And figure it out as you go and use the skills you have to make the most of the situation. And that experience taught me so many things. It improved my beauty makeup skills. It improved my contemporary hairstyling skills because everything I had done to that point was theatrical. So Mm. aside from doing my friend's hair here and there, nothing was, I wasn't doing anything like that. So it challenged me to start diving into a new world and to start buying fashion magazines and researching trends and what people were doing at the time and what I needed to be doing to kind of be current with this artist to the best of my ability. And then I got to work on my first album shoots and magazine shoots. And all of that was so new to me. I was so overwhelmed by just being in the space with some of these photographers and Mm. And stylists who had worked with some of the greats, you know, I mean, Tori was famously best friends with Kevin Aquan, who mm-hmm. was the most famous makeup artist of our time. And to have that kind of relationship with someone so legendary, it's intimidating to walk into that space because you know that they've worked with the best. And we encounter that all the time still in this industry because every actor that enters your trailer, you know, they've worked with other people. So mm. there are expectations and there's also new things they're looking for that they didn't maybe get on their last project so those experiences were so helpful in shaping 
me as an artist and helping me move forward and challenge me. Yeah. It's, it's nice too, that you're kind of having all these new experiences, but you have that kind of stable, like a consistency throughout because you're working with Tori. So at least you know, okay, I, I know what I'm doing here. All this other stuff is new, but I've got this one kind of consistent piece of the puzzle throughout the whole thing. And you weren't getting thrown into completely new situations with a whole bunch of strangers every single time. You kind of had a little bit of comfort. Exactly. Because when you show up each day and it's the same person, mm. there's a trust there and you feel a little bit more safe and encouraged to try new things and develop skills because yeah. it's a relationship between two people rather than like you said a new person every day and rebuilding or establishing that trust yeah. on a daily basis that's so cool so you're traveling the world and hearing fabulous gigs every other yeah, night it, <laughs> and it it was it was incredible because i had the entire crew was british because she's had the same crew for 20 plus years so mm -hmm. i was all of a sudden on this tour bus with probably 15 British men who were her crew guys and that first tour. And, you know, I didn't, I couldn't understand what anyone was saying <laughs> <laughs> because they're all from different parts of England yeah, and they all have different accents, accents and yeah. slang that they use. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there as the Midwestern American, just thinking, I'm so grateful to be here and to be around these these people and to learn new things but what are you all saying <laughs> but what are you saying <laughs> but they were so kind to me and embraced me fully and showed me the way when I didn't know certain things and mm -hmm. you know her husband is her sound guy so he was always making sure that I was taken care of and all of those things so it was a such a good a good first tour all around. And then mm -hmm. as it progressed, I ended up traveling on her bus because we were just getting so busy that much like a schedule that we have here mm -hmm. in production, we were working 18, 20 hour days every day because we would, every morning we would get to a new city, check into the hotel, go through hair and makeup. Then we'd do press all day long, wow. do a TV appearance. Then we'd sound check. Then we'd do hair and makeup again for the show. Mm. Then we do a show, pack down, get on the bus and off to the next day. And it was, you know, sometimes no sleep because we'd have a 6 a.m. TV appearance in Germany and we were in France the night before. So it's just wow. those kinds of experiences, again, much like those first tours that I did. Mm. I was ready for it because I had kind of worked in circumstances that were challenging and required you to be on top of your job and make sure that everything was taken care of. That's awesome. So in in between those tours and stuff, were you going back to like theater and things or? I was. Break or? So right after I left Florida with Michelle and Chris, I mm. went back to New York just to kind of get packed for tour. I had about three months to prepare before we left and hit the road. So at that time I had reached out to Charles LaPointe, who had a wig studio in New York uh, with Tom Watson. And I had seen some of his work on Broadway and I, I wanted to build a relationship in New York with a wig making studio so I could continue to refine those skills that I had started learning in Florida. Mm -hmm. So for those three months, um, I had reached out to Chuck just on a whim 
and asked him if he, I boldly asked, like, I knew nothing. I'm like, mm -hmm. do you need an assistant on your <laughs> next design job? Thinking that's how things worked. But mm -hmm. um, he was really nice. And he asked me to come into the studio and start building mustaches. So I went in and sat for a couple of weeks and built mustaches until they were, my knots were up to the level of everyone else in the studio. And then he started having me build, doing partial wigs, like tops and fronts. And then probably after a month or so, I started building full foundations and wigs. So that was great because it gave me a job for those three months before I left on tour, but it also helped me establish a relationship and kind of a home base in New York for when yeah. I came back from tour. And he was really great when I came back from that first tour and had me come right back into the studio and build wigs. And as I was sitting there building wigs, I was just thinking, this isn't really for me. I love building wigs, but I don't know if I can do this mm. all day, every day. Mm. And one day I heard Tom Watson, one of the other studio owners, mentioning that they needed someone on one of their Broadway shows. It was Cry Baby, the John Waters movie mm -hmm. turned into a musical. And I walked over to him and just said, I'd love to, can I be considered? And he hired me as the assistant department head on that. And I went in and took over the person that was leaving. So sadly, it only ran for about a month and a half. And then we closed. But mm -hmm. <laughs> it was my first Broadway show and experience. And again, it was a whole new set of skills to be learned. Because although I had done tours, they were non-equity, low-budget tours, which were helpful in building my knowledge of touring. But once you reach another level, you have to just kind of take it all in and make sure you're doing the same work as everyone else. Yeah. Going back to like, how often people working on a, a show and actually building their wigs from scratch? Is, like is, is on that... a theater show? Yeah. Or a... Yeah. Yeah. Does it happen often? I mean, do you have the time or you, is it just easier? Well, and... so the way that it works generally in, in New York, like Chuck and Tom both design all of their shows. So they'll okay. have maybe seven to 10 shows running at one time. Mm -hmm. And they're designing the wigs and building the wigs for all of those productions. So they have a team of sometimes, depending on how busy they are, up to 20, 25 people building in their studio. Wow. And they're out, they build as well, but then they're also at night going to the theater to sit through tech for a new production and sit through all those rehearsals and refine all of the designs as they mm -hmm. kind of work through the ins and outs of every every show. But wow. they design all the shows, all the styles, and then the production crew has to execute that eight times a week. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, because there's so much going on, once you establish a relationship with the Broadway designer, they trust you to kind of help continue finishing their process because they can't stay throughout. And sometimes when you get understudies and swings who cover all of the ensemble people, mm. sometimes they don't actually go on stage until months after the show's been running and their looks haven't always been established because there hasn't been time to finish everything. So, and okay. wigs are still being built. So then you're kind of working back and forth with the designer to make sure that you're establishing what they want, but making sure to execute it on your end so they don't have to come back in. Right. So, there are people on Broadway, though, that, and sometimes I would do this when I had the time. I would mm. go and 
build in the studio during the day and then go to the theater at night just for extra money, but also just to keep, you know, keep that skill set yeah. fresh Absolutely. so it doesn't get rusty. And what kind of wigs are mainly on stage, like synthetic or human? It depends on who you're working with. When I worked with Paul Huntley, the late, great Paul Huntley, he uses a lot of synthetics on his Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did Anything Goes on Broadway, all the ensemble wigs were synthetic. And it was great, actually, because they were able to set them once a week and yeah. they would last through this crazy tap dance heavy mm-hmm. show yeah. and not have to be fully restyled. Whereas with a human hair wig, there was no chance that that would have lasted for yeah. the whole week. So you'd be resetting it every night. Mm-hmm. But Chuck and Tom tend to use mostly human hair wigs on Broadway. There are some shows like Wicked, I think, that has different synthetic pieces incorporated just because of color and style. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think for the most part, they, and all the shows that I did with them, we worked mostly with um, human hair wigs. That's awesome. And they're all lace front. Yeah. And... I mean, I just I feel like it's just so many wigs are being built specifically for for shows. Where it's insane. Yeah, I mean, it's like I I'm always curious as to what happens to all those wigs when it's over. Like, is there just a a crazy amount of stock that people can pull from and rent? Or yeah, it, if you ever have the chance, or in New York, and you have a chance to go to one of the wig studios. Um, Chuck and Tom have an extensive stock of wigs because a lot of times the production will sell them back mm. to the designers afterwards. Oh, that's cool. Uh, they'll, or they'll put it in their contract that they want to buy them back. Mm-hmm. I think it's different with each designer, but I, I think I would do the same though if I was in that situation because I could refront them and yeah. repurpose them for another show. It's better than them just sitting in some box storage somewhere never being used again, <laughs> collecting Yeah, dust. exactly. <laughs> And a lot of these ensemble dancers and even some of the principal performers, they go on immediately to another show. And if you already have a wig that maybe wasn't that used for Mm. their previous show, you can maybe repurpose it and and use it again. You know, it's always helpful to have because a lot with the ensemble people specifically, a lot of times they have six, seven different wigs for one two hour musical. And the changes are insane. And the number of wigs that have to be reset and styled every day is crazy. And that's, I think, the best thing about coming up in theater and working on Broadway is that you really build a strong foundation for roller setting and styling wigs quickly. Yeah, And you also gain huge understanding and knowledge of period hairstyling and and what it takes to build a hairstyle. Mm, That's awesome. I'm curious, because you've just, you've just, kind of dived straight into wigs <clears throat> so how do you get your experience with natural hair like people's hair on their head and not doing wigs did, did, did it kind of feel like it was the same type of work like you tackled it the same way or did you just you were like oh this is a little different than a wig how do I go about making this work that's a great question because I question that myself many times throughout my <laughs> life in the early years. And that's why, you know, growing up, I always did my sister and my mom's hair. Mm. That was like our favorite Friday night activity was to play beauty salon and we'd get out the hot rollers and the manicure set and I would do my mom's hair, makeup, nails, all of that stuff. Oh my God, um, your, your mom's so lucky. 
<laughs> she was, and she was such a good sport. I used to take my sister into the bathroom because I didn't want my mom to see what I was going to do to her hair. Mm. And one time specifically, I my sister was probably six or seven years old, and I she had hair past her shoulders, and I teased it up and set it, and I rolled it under mm. and pinned it so the length was gone into like a Jackie Kennedy mm. silhouette. And she came out of the bathroom and my mom was so upset. She thought I had cut her hair off. (laughs) And I'm like, mom, I did not cut her hair. It's clearly pinned under. Like, (laughs) just look closer. But I was already playing with stuff like that at a young age. And then anytime I was working on theater and opera projects, I would, especially in those early days when I was an intern making $250 a week, Mm. I would become the person who would offer my skills for, they would do these recitals, um, all the young artists, and I would offer my services to do their hair for those. So I was styling natural hair then, Mm. um, and then always cutting all the guys' hair and playing with that. But it wasn't until I toured with Tori for a couple of years, and she was wearing wigs on tour, but then for press, we would use her own hair. And she had Depending on the year, she would have either, we would use a lot of extensions or she would have bonded extensions in for the duration. So I had to learn about care and upkeep for extensions of all different kinds, permanent Mm -hmm. and temporary. And, you know, it was a lot of self-teaching. And this was before the days of YouTube and all of that. So it was really taking the time when I was free and practicing. Yeah. And after years of doing that, and Tori and I used to talk about it all the time, my desire to actually go to cosmetology school. Since I graduated with a BFA in theater, Mm. I never went that route um, because I'd only worked on theatrical stuff. So I didn't really see the need for it at the time. But then once I started working with Tori and realizing what an asset it would be to have actual formal training Mm. (laughs) and a license (laughs) so that I could do with Tori, what I do with Tori with other artists and be open to working with other people and have an understanding of what it takes, no matter the situation or the head of hair. Yeah. So I went to beauty school later on, probably, I think I was 30 years old. So maybe 12 plus years ago. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I was terrified, excited, everything you can think. I was thinking this is an end to my career. This is the beginning of a career. I had so many competing thoughts in my head Mm. but the first day I got to school I just that inner child that we talked about earlier it was just right there in that desk I was so excited yeah like I wanted to be a good student I wanted to be there and it I had kind of reached this plateau in the theater world where I was just feeling kind of resentful towards the work because when you're doing someone else's work every day because on Broadway you know, you're not designing the looks. They're they're given to you. Yeah. Here's the roller set. Here's the style. It has to look like this every day, eight, mm-hmm. eight times a week. And you do that. And it's a great, like I said, it's a great foundational skill and it helps you build your speed and your helps you to refine your styling. But I just felt like I was, the creative part of me was kind of missing. Mm. So when I got back to school, that all came back. Like it was just flowing out of me and it was so refreshing but also scary to have all those feelings again but 
it ultimately was the best thing that I ever did because I learned everything that I didn't know and opened myself up to so many more opportunities because of it. The only thing I wish I would have done differently, and if I had had the time or the financial stability at the time to do it, was mm. to go straight into a, a salon, you know? Yeah. Because this was a small, I went to a Rojo in New York where we trained with Nick Rojo. It's a lot of creative haircutting and razor cutting. You learn all of the traditional methods as well, but they focused a lot on more creative stuff that is their brand. And I wish that I had been able to finance it differently at the time because I had to stop working completely to be in school. Right. So I couldn't, you know, I was relying fully on my savings to pay for it. And it was a lot of money. And mm. so as soon as I finished, I wanted to get right back to work. And I, I took another Broadway show. And looking back, I wish I would have gone into a salon for two years and just fully taken a break from my life to to do that. But there's still time. I could do it again. <laughs> yeah let me know when that happens <laughs> yeah exactly it's, you it's, just never know yeah exactly and I mean it, it's tricky it's I I didn't yeah it's so funny how many different ways you can get to where you are because I I don't know whether I just hadn't thought about it or I was naive but it wasn't until coming to LA and talking to different people about their backgrounds and I kind of just assumed everyone had gone through the same like process that I had of like doing my training apprenticeship and worked in a salon and then figured out oh maybe the salon life isn't for me I need to try something different and then went into <laughs> like film and television but then I would meet people who are just like oh no I went to cosmetology school and then you know I'm in I work on TV and I'm like you don't really work in a salon and they're like nah <laughs> and I'm like what <laughs> how <laughs> well exactly so and, it blows and, my and mind back, I wish that I would have done that because I think in New York especially New York is only a thousand hours to get your cosmetology license so in LA it's 14 or 1600 hours I think it's okay. 1600 hours and in New Zealand and I had to do three years <laughs> Which is great, because <laughs> so, that's the thing. When I got to the end of my schooling for the last, you know, six weeks of school, you're taking clients full time. Yeah. And what I said to my instructors at the end, I just wish I could stay here for six more months, you know, and do this. Yeah. But that's why I continue to just, in my free time, mm. take classes and, and work on things at home because... Yeah. There's so much always to refine and learn. You know, I something I realize every day, like there's so many things that we just don't have the time to to keep working on. Yeah. But it's necessary, yeah. which is what's so important about building teams around you in the trailer that all have different skill sets so that while we're at work for these extended hours that we can actually share information with each other and learn on the job. Because yeah. we have such a great, it's a huge asset that we have that I think is ignored a lot of times is that we, we have the ability within our own teams to to educate and create together, to to show each other how things work and things that we don't know, to pass them on and to absorb them so that a lot of that endless time that we could be sitting while we're waiting to go to set, looking at our phones like everyone does, or mm. we could sit and let's talk through a haircut, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, why not? I think, too, that there's, 
there's nothing wrong with getting like if you're hired on a on a job kind of just having that discussion with your boss or you as a boss with your team to just be like you know let's take this job as an opportunity to is there something that you would like to do more of like would you like to be doing more men's grooming on this because you need the repetitive nature of it like would you like to have more male cast to take care of because you feel like you need to up your game in men's haircuts or you know just having that conversation of I need more experience with blowouts I'd love a couple of my cast members you know if 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 I can look after someone who needs a blowout every day or totally you know, or wigs. I don't have much experience with wigs. Can I look after the stunt double? Just having those conversations to be just forward about what you need practice in and what you want to learn and get better at. Because if you don't say it out loud, I don't think anyone's going to know. So no. And I think so many of us are scared to admit that we maybe need to improve our skills in certain areas. And, you know, I'm learning the older I get, there's just no shame at all in being honest and saying, you know, I'm not that great at this particular thing. I need to work on it. So let's talk about it. And how can we how can we do that? Because nobody, I mean, there are some people who know everything, I think that have like a really amazing, well rounded skill set. But the majority of people we don't because we all come from different backgrounds and we focused on maybe one thing or the other more than we did different things and we need to ex- continue to work on the things that we don't have as much experience in yeah and i think as long as you have like guidance you're not you know it's not like um it would be okay to go i want to do more men's grooming i've never done a man's haircut before um <laughs> And then you just right. throw, I mean, throw them a really important cast that you're like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is a bit of screening, I guess you should do before you yeah. just <laughs> fully open it up. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, there's a yeah, bit of guidance and just checking in on people. <laughs> exactly. So how how do we get from your, you've got your cosmetology license, how do we make this transition from the stage to television? So like I kind of had mentioned earlier, I, I went to cosmetology school. I finished that, went right back to Broadway. Mm-hmm. And when I left school, I was feeling so refreshed and ready to take on the world. Um, and I felt like myself again. But then as soon as I settled back into a Broadway show, although it was fun and I was working on great things, there was still that seed of resentment in me that I felt like I wasn't in the right place and that I needed to be exploring different things. And I just didn't know how to do it. So I just worked through all of that kind of struggle internally for a long time. And I got into the union right after I finished school in New York. So then I was I was finally able to work in TV and film Mm -hmm. because New York is a weird place in terms of a lot of people get into the union through Broadway shows in New York. Okay. Before they're actually in the union, they're allowed to work on some of the Broadway shows. Um, I don't fully understand it still, but Mm. that's how a lot of people get their days and then get into the union, Um, which is how you end up with unlicensed cosmetologists in the union, just because of that old kind of approach to the process. Yeah. But anyhow, I, I got into the union, then I was fully available to 
to work in TV and film. And I was just so unhappy with everything in my life at the time. And I was kind of just not taking care of myself. And I was caught up in the like party scene in New York. And it's easy when you're working in entertainment to kind of and I don't think people talk about this a lot either in this industry, but it's it's everywhere. Mm. Um, we work so much, we work so hard that there's almost this like feeling of I deserve to to kind of let loose at the end of the day. But then suddenly, after many years, it becomes a habit and you're suddenly out partying every night and drinking and you're not taking care of yourself and you're showing up to work miserable and you're just not not fully healthy in mind, body, or spirit. Yeah, the balance is out of whack. Yeah, and it's easy because we're surrounded by it, especially in the theater world. Like, there's a real family community environment where we all would go out every night after the show and get dinner and drinks, and then next thing you know, like, you're trying to, like, live as an 18-year-old again, and (laughs) you just can't, you can't handle it anymore. So kind of at that place in my life where I was running from, my kind of feelings of resentment towards my work and my personal life and everything and just kind of abandoning everything and Mm. pretending it wasn't happening. And I just finally was like, I need to shift all this. And I just kind of stopped drinking, stopped working on Broadway, quit my job. I ended everything. You know, I was like, I'm a very cut and dry person when it comes to certain things in life. And Mm. I was like, I had no plan either. You know, again, I was just not sure what was next. And I took a chance and just completely reshifted my life. And the universe, like always, just kind of guided me to the right place. And that's when I started putting myself out there to day play so I could learn about what TV and film was all about. But then about three months after I quit my Broadway job and kind of got my life back on track, I... Mm booked my first TV show with my friend Carla, this TV show for Bravo called Odd Mom Out. It was a situational comedy and we, it was fun. It ran for three seasons. And when I got there, I knew nothing about TV, like absolutely nothing. When I looked at a call sheet, I was confused. Yeah. And then <laughs> like I, mean, I just situational comedies are even different again from other, other TV shows. So yeah, because yeah. it was, it was a, kind of low budget production and we were block shooting 10 episodes so for my first tv show we were i was thrown right into it and we would shoot out each location for 10 episodes basically each day wow so you're changing looks all day long and because of that you're forced to make some creative decisions about hair where you think well we don't really have the time to Mm. change 10 times today or or however many times it would be so we have to make decisions that would work for multiple episodes and my friend Carla who is the department head she you know was like I picked up a day out of days she and I said what is this (laughs) (laughs) and she was like don't worry you'll figure it out you know just just be patient and I'm someone who seeks information and knowledge so I just every night would go home and look at the one-liners and think what is this? If I don't know what this is, how can I figure out what this is before tomorrow? Yeah. And I would memorize those call sheets and the actors that were working on them, look them up and what they had done, look at photos of them to see what they looked like in other projects. And I was just mm-hmm. trying to be a good student and fully understand how this business worked. And by the end of that, I felt like I started to have an understanding of it. Um, but it was such a crazy show that 
I didn't have a good idea of how like a quote unquote normal show ran. So right. I was looking forward to continuing and, and working on other projects. And then um, kind of my second show that I worked on was with uh, Liliana Merrick, who's now Maggio is her last name, but she uh, most recently was the department head for politician season two, but she lives in New York and she was the department head for this Amazon show, Sneaky Pete with Giovanni Ribisi and Margo yeah. Martindale. Yeah. And she called me and asked me if I would key for her. They had already started, but she needed to replace someone. So I took over as the key and I was doing Margot Martindale's hair. And I really that's when I really started to learn how to department head a show because she is one of those department heads that is just so completely thorough and fully transparent about everything mm. within the department. So her whole crew understands what's going on, what needs to be done. And she really helped to teach me how to run a department with kindness and grace and to just be present and how to kind of treat your team with respect. And so everyone's happy in the end. That's awesome. And then I ended up working with Liliana on another project um, to kind of day playing because I was still kind of bouncing back and forth with the idea of doing that full time. But I started kind of taking over Liliana's shows. So season two of Sneaky Pete came along and I took over as department head. She had department headed Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, a Tina Fey show that Ellie Kemper starred in for mm -hmm. a long time on Netflix. And when she left that, I took over for her on that for season three. And that was right after season one of Sneaky Pete. I'm jumping all over the place. Sorry. That's all right. It, it sounds like it's um, like a nice, like a reasonably smooth transition moving that step up into the position after somebody who you're very familiar with how they work and to, to just be able to continue on with how it's done, how they've been doing it and not have too many bumps in the road, I would imagine. So that's really great. It was. And because we were still doing Sneaky Pete season one together, when she asked me to take over Kimmy Schmidt mm. for her, I was able to pick her brain about everything I would need because it was my first time department heading. So yeah, a TV show, I had done it on Broadway, but it's a different thing. And mm. So I went through her whole trailer. I took photos of every drawer, every cabinet, everything she had to make sure. Because in New York, a lot of shows work in a trailer and out of a studio space. So as a department head, you need to have double kit. Oh, God. So you have to have full, like two full sets of everything. Because a lot of times, otherwise you're transferring stuff back and forth. Mm. So it's just easier to have a studio space that's fully stocked and a trailer that's fully stocked. And wow. When you're just starting, you're like, how am I going to acquire all this stuff? Yeah. But we made it work, and she was so helpful and made sure that I knew exactly what I was doing. Yeah, that's awesome. And to be able to, like, if you, you know, even though she is not there and she's on something else, that you can just feel so comfortable to reach out and be like, hey, I just have a quick question. You know, what should I do here or how should I approach this? So that's cool. It was. It was a great way to learn the business. And then when Chris Clark called me to consider me for a position on Pose, mm. I, you know, I felt like I had a good understanding of the business by that point. And, yeah. you know, he's someone that I had never met before. And when I got that phone call, I was just kind of blown away. And I knew at that moment that my life was about to change for real, you know. <laughs> so for those who haven't um, watched Pose and 
are crazy because they haven't watched it. Um, <laughs> what, is the, <laughs> what is the show about? Explain. Pose is a story about the Black trans community in New York City during the late 80s and early 90s, specifically the ballroom community and also the AIDS epidemic that was sweeping through New York at that time. Mm-hmm. And so we explore the lives of these different houses in the ballroom community and the challenges that they face as Black trans women in society, but also even within their own community, and how that entire community is kind of disproportionately affected by the AIDS crisis that was happening at that time. Yeah, it's a fantastic show and visually amazing. Also. Thank you. And it, yeah, emotional. It's a, it's an it's an amazing show. I love it. How fun! I mean, how fun is that? How fun is working on that show? <laughs> it, I mean, it was incredible. It was. Like I said, it was a life-changing experience. I don't think I'll ever have another project quite like that. Mm-hmm. Um, not only for the work. I mean, I always say that we got to do great hair, but it was a job that shaped me more as a person than anything else. And I'm so grateful that we had the opportunity to be creative and to to do such amazing hair work. But I'm also grateful that I had the opportunity to see myself in a different light and who I am as a white man in this world and what things I didn't see about myself before I I did that project. And it's just something that we don't run into often in this business where you're working on a project that really kind of shakes you deep to your core. Mm -hmm. And working with Chris Clark, season one, that was, you know, that was a cornerstone of my career because Chris is someone that I'd always looked up to. Mm-hmm. in watching TV because I've always been a fan of Ryan Murphy's work from the time I was very young. Yeah. And then when I learned that Chris was the man kind of behind a lot of his projects in recent years, I just started to follow his career path and knowing that he was a, a Broadway person as well. Mm-hmm. I felt like we had similar similar journeys. And when he called me to work with him, I'd had his number in my phone because I had reached out to him to ask about a salon in LA for hair extensions because Liliana actually had given me his number. So when his name popped up on my phone, I had forgotten that it was in there. And I'm like, what could this possibly be about? (laughs) (laughs) And we ended up meeting up after he agreed to have me on his team. And we met up beforehand. And I was terrified, like so nervous because I look up to him so much and I just wanted to do a great job. And, yeah. you know, he was such an amazing person to to learn from, to watch him work, and then to ultimately be asked to take over for him was just, they were just all blessings in my, my career. That the fact that he trusted me enough to kind of take over his project that he started mm. and then to allow me to continue doing it was such a huge compliment and something that changed my life ultimately and my career path. Yeah, well, I mean, from starting in television and film, I mean, your trajectory is just like straight up, dude. It's just like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, pow, he's just, you're, you're going for it, Barry. It's amazing. I love seeing it. Well, I'm just, I'm grateful that people are, are trusting me to to come into their spaces and to to show up and do the work, you know, because this is a blessing for all of us that get to do this because although it's challenging and hard, um, Mm. it's also super rewarding. And the relationships we make with our actors and the work we get to do is so fulfilling. I never like to get too 
I don't ever like to get ahead of myself and I like to stay present in the moment and, and show up. And that's what I wanted to do for Chris because I wanted him to be able to come to work and do his job as the designer and department head and do hair and mm. do what he loves and not have him worry about anything. So I wanted to be the best key that you could be, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm always interested in being a good student. So I worked really hard to to make sure that he had everything that he needed to facilitate his day. And he taught me so much about styling and running a department and staffing and and just he loves hair and he loves period hair and so do I. So it was just a good match. Yeah, we have some fun. <laughs> yeah. So now that you're department heading more, what are some key things that you think are important to remember when you're in that position? The biggest thing for me is kindness and understanding as a mm. department head. I just I hear so many stories about and they're it's always surprising to me, but I don't because I don't believe it, but I just hear so many stories about people being mistreated on jobs and especially day players and people that just feel like they don't have a voice on a job mm. and that they're just there to kind of do what they're told basically. Um and I, it, it just kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I feel like everyone in the trailer is part of, of the team and the ultimate product mm. of the show. And if there isn't a safe environment in the trailer where everyone feels like they can be their authentic self and ask questions and share their feelings about what they think this look should be, or then it just starts to feel a little bit unsafe. Like you don't want to be there. And I never want anyone to feel, I never want anyone to dread coming to work because of an attitude or an environment that makes them feel less than. So that's something that is really important to me before we even start doing hair is to make sure that there's a real family bond that exists there. So everyone feels comfortable to do their best work. Yeah. I met one of your team members from your last project, Erica. Yes. Erica. Yeah. And the, she was, we were, we were chatting that you were going to do the podcast and one thing that she she said many lovely things about you Barry which was awesome but one thing that stood out to me that she said was that you're so great at knowing when to let your team shine like when to have their moments to shine and I just thought I was just like oh, that's so awesome I love hearing that because so that's often so yeah there's so often you just there's I don't know why but heads of department they they only want to be the one that's shining and that's it that's all I did this and I did that and I did everything um (laughs) well and I I said this I've said this to Erica and many people before but we've all been in this situation where you've just finished doing someone's hair and you Mm. walk to set and a director producer compliments them and the department head stands right in front of you and says thank you yeah (laughs) and you're standing right there and you think but you didn't touch that (laughs) just at least say like oh yeah I didn't very do a great job we had this idea and I told him like take all the credit but at least say isn't that great didn't they do a great job today yeah yeah. I think I have no um, my response is never a graceful one but it's something like oh I didn't have anything to do with it (laughs) which is totally that's all him It's just like, it's just like, there's always a nicer way I could say these things, but I'm like, oh, I had nothing to do with it. That was all them. (laughs) Because I think what happens though, and what people don't, and this is what terrifies me is that I don't ever want to take credit for someone else's work because if I'm 
on a job with the same people who complimented me in the past for something, and then、mm. they asked me to do the same thing, and I didn't do that, then I look like an idiot because I'm like, oh well, actually, I didn't do that thing that you told me I was so good at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's great to let your team shine when when it's time for them to shine because we all work together to make this happen, and that's something that. When we talked earlier about learning from each other in the trailer,、mm. working with Erica on Pam and Tommy, she is someone who is a master hair cutter. She is just—it's in her bones. She lives and breathes cutting hair, and she—it's so beautiful to watch someone truly love what they do because it's just like—it's almost like they're working without thinking about it because it just flows out of their fingertips. Yeah, and to watch her cut hair and so many of the. Amazing period haircuts that you see, we'll see on Pam and Tommy were done by Erica because she just has this. She used to be an educator for TG, and she would travel and do classes and all of these things. So、oh, she、nice. just has this foundational training that is solid, and she can just you know, execute what, the hell out of it. <laughs> yeah, but she. What's great about Erica too, though, is that she sits and she pulls out the books. You know, we look at head sheets and we talk about haircuts. Before they happen, you know, we discovered this old head sheet for a mullet that we found on the internet, and、mm. it was something that neither of us would have ever approached cutting a mullet like that.、Mm-hmm. But it was on a wig that we didn't, we weren't too stressed about. So we're like, let's try this really basic head sheet and see what comes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we used this head sheet we found, and she cut it, and. We were like, huh? Three sections and it's done. Like we got it and it works. Good to know. Like sometimes it's、right、not、right、that、up. difficult. You got to、yeah. just go back to like the basic because it was like a vintage head sheet from way back. Wow. So it's just it's refreshing to work with people like that because you know she's such a great hair cutter and I always anything she did on that show is always I'd remind her like you know you are great at this because it's easy to get lost in the shuffle when. There's so much going on that we all want to be seen. We all want to feel like we're part of the project. So I think、mm. it's important to make sure that your your whole team, not just the trailer team, but the people that are helping you in background as well, like feel as though they're part of the the process. Because tomorrow I can be doing background, and I want to be treated the same as if I was working in a trailer. You know, there's no ego there. It's just common. Human decency, like we are all required to make a show happen, and I don't think anyone deserves to feel less than or to have their their light dimmed temporarily. Yeah, it's very true. Now, I would love to know what um what advice you've been given at some point that's really stuck with you. This is a funny one, but I think <laughs> it's so important. It's、um, bad continuity is a fireable offense. <laughs> And that stuck with me. It still sits so deep in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that to you? Chris Clark told me that, and I and I think it's so true because I think so many. And he'll probably kill me for saying that, but、um, I'll ask him if that's okay.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. Oh yeah, but it, it was so true because it was just matter of fact, and that's what I love about Chris is that he. You know, there's no mystery there. It's、mm. this is what we're doing, and this is. And when we first met, he he told me that, and I I just thought, oh my god, I'm gonna get fired on my first day. <laughs> I don't know how he does continuity. How does he like it? Like, what's a classic continuity book? Like, I had all these questions storm like 
going through my head. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was fine ultimately. But I think the greater lesson in that that comment that he made was that we're not just here to do hair, you know, the, mm -hmm. it's a whole business and an operation. And we need to make sure that we put just as much time and energy and attention into the business side of doing hair as we do to the actual hair that we're doing. Because yeah. without good continuity books and without good scheduling of additionals and and supply ordering and all of those things, mm. the department doesn't run properly. Yeah. And the last thing you ever want to do when you're a key is have the department head come in and say, can you pull a picture of so-and-so for scene 23, day two? Mm. And it was like three weeks ago and you're going through the book thinking, did I do that? And then you get to that page and you're like, there's no pictures. Oh my God, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Mike, yeah, I'm a continuity. Um, I'm I'm just so curious because there's different. I think there's different levels of understanding of continuity, and when I'm asking somebody like, "Do you understand how it works?" I'm asking on so many different levels. It's just like, yes, do you understand how to take photos and label them and put them into a folder? But also, do you understand? the journey of that character and how continuity is going to be working throughout this whole story. But then I'm also asking, do you understand the continuity within this one scene from this shot to that shot and making sure that that one scene, you know, that that hair isn't tucked, untucked, tucked, untucked, tucked. <laughs> do you know what right. I mean? So it's so many different levels of understanding and I hope <laughs> that people understand all of it when I'm asking. And it's a hard, and it's something that I think, you know, these are things that I wish still like someday there'll be some amazing textbook that really walks you through what it takes to work in this industry mm. because the resources aren't necessarily there until you're on the job for a lot of things that we do. And yeah, continuity is one of those things that if you're a very like I'm a very visual person <clears throat> mm -hmm. and I can if I've done the hairstyle I can recreate it I can remember what I did even mm -hmm. without really having a reference mm -hmm. just because we shot so much of it you know you just see it so many times it's burned into your brain yeah. but you always need that that backup just in case yeah, you need to check yourself it's just like you yeah exactly you absolutely just think you've got it but it's always good to just pull that picture out and double check it and it's also hard with continuity on tv sometimes especially the way that they're putting so much into such a small production schedule you know tv shows are being shot like films now but in mm. half the you know with less time and sometimes you work with the director who they don't allow you in and you're like this continuity is going to be off but if you at least have an understanding that it's going to be off you can let your script supervisor know like hey I can't get in there to fix this. It's going to be wrong. Yeah. Can you help me? I mean, most of the time they are well aware. I have... <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I had this moment the other week where I was just, I was like almost tearing my hair out because I was just like, I am so screwed. The continuity in this is just, I can't, I just can't. It's just not happening. And I went up to the script supervisor. I was just like, the hair continuity is a cluster. And she's like, I know. <laughs> she's like, 
but what can you do? And I was just like, I don't know. I can't, this is, I'm doing, I've done everything I can do. And this, this is the best of it. And she's just like, I know it's okay. (laughs) So it was just like, in one way I wanted her to go, no, it's not that bad. Well, of course, but for her to just be honest, yeah. But for her to just be honest and be like, yeah, but I don't. She couldn't see any other way that I could, you know, without having more time to be able to reset stuff back to how it needed to be. She's just like, it is what it is. Like, yeah, you're just gonna have to live. Well, and that's (laughs) I had that experience recently because my actress was, which I love when an actress is wearing a wig and they're not scared to touch it Mm -hmm. um, as if it's their own hair because there's a lot of actresses are scared to touch wigs and it just makes it look like a wig then, you know, like sell it. And I'm like, sell it. (laughs) Um, But this actress was so in her hair that, and it was down the majority of the time that there was no, there was no way to manage continuity in some situations Mm. because even telling her, you know, you held your hair up at this point and then threw it to the side, you know, there was no, there was no working with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the response was, "I'm gonna do whatever with my hair." You yeah. know, <laughs> and you're like, "Okay, well, the script supervisor is going crazy. I'm going crazy. What can we do?" And we just had to agree, like, "It's gonna be what it's gonna be." Mm. You know, hope for the best. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all you can do. <laughs> but again, like, if you have that foundational understanding of continuity, mm. though, at least you're aware of it when you are looking at it on camera because a lot of people I think don't see those little things like we're talking about and it's important that we understand it because it does pull people out of a scene when you're watching a show if it's if it's messed up yeah that's true now tell me what is something that you've learned recently like something new professionally that you were excited about this is now working on my recent project Pam and Tommy mm. uh, which was a huge prosthetic show for Lily James playing Pam Anderson yeah I'm learning more and more and I did on that project about working with prosthetics and wigs and the relationship that we have as a team to make sure that everything looks as good as it can and the delicate nature of working with a prosthetic forehead for instance mm-hmm. because in the in the series she works a couple of pieces but one of them we David Williams who's the department head for makeup and myself talked about it in initial conversations about extending her prosthetic forehead I I wanted him to extend it as far back as possible on her head mm-hmm. so that we got a true a true skin scalp situation underneath the wig yeah um, without actually building one into the wig and so her forehead which joined at the eyelid like at the crease of the eyelid and the bridge of the nose Mm -hmm. it went all the way up and back to almost her crown nice so it went pretty far back Mm -hmm. and the amazing girls who did her makeup mo meinhardt and abby clausen they hand painted it beautifully every day and so when she got to me you know you get one shot really at laying down uh, the putting that wig on yeah <laughs> or it has to all be repainted again so mm-hmm. because i'm the last step in the process she's already been in makeup for four hours i prep her before makeup and then she comes back to me so at that time you know the crew is in they're ready to shoot so i get my 30 minutes is what i asked for to put mm-hmm. the wig on but it always ends up being 15 mm-hmm. or a compromised 30 because the director comes in and wants to talk about this or the other actors and yeah 
So you really have to be mindful of the prosthetic and not forget because it looks so real that Mm. you just, if you're not focused, (laughs) you can forget. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're dragging a, a brush across it and you're like, oh my goodness, what if I tear this? So I'm learning more and more about working with prosthetics and just being mindful of the work that goes into that and also how it's such a huge benefit to to my work and the way that the wig ends up looking on camera because of the, the extension of the forehead. Yeah. Because we were able to change her hairline completely mm-hmm. and the, the placement of so that we could more accurately recreate Pam Anderson's actual forehead shape and where her hairline was. Yeah, that's cool. And it's just amazing what you can do when you have all of that in place. So it was such a blessing to have that prosthetic in the end because it really helped to refine the look overall and make it more believable. That's awesome. Was the forehead piece um, silicon? Yes. Yeah, and that lace just goes into that beautifully. Yeah, it lays so nicely. And it just, there was only one day that we had to take the wig off because something was sitting weird with the prosthetic where it was pushing down a little bit. And so we were getting some some tension that wasn't there normally. And that's another thing with the, the prosthetic forehead. And I think on that day, it might have been a combination of placement of my wig and then also something that had maybe happened in the process of the prosthetic. But, you know, we all put on a wig and sometimes you adjust it once it's on the head. And sometimes I will kind of shimmy the wig forward to move Mm. the hairline down right Mm. but if there's a prosthetic forehead on there even that little bit of tension moving forward Mm. can shift some of the weight of the prosthetic so that it's pushing down onto the brow bone and then suddenly you're getting some some weird rippling that's happening and you think did I do that what's happening (laughs) so we had one day where we had a little bit of an adjustment of the wig and then I had to we just decided to fully take it off so that we could offsite the the prosthetic yeah. piece back a little bit and tighten it up. But scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, we don't, we don't have time for this. <laughs> no, but it's such an amazing part of the process and it's so helpful and really transforming someone. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, just to have that freedom of being able to change the hairline like that and have um, seeing scalp through that hairline and oh beautiful you're just selling it so much more it's fantastic yeah and it and it eliminates a lot of your work because otherwise someone like lily james who's naturally has a dark root Mm -hmm. and i would have had to have completely painted out her hairline you know every day which would have been a nightmare but instead it was covered because she already went through so much with the prosthetics that adding one more thing and shampooing her hair at night would have probably center over the edge (laughs) yeah I mean it's a lot you know it's a lot and then she's gotta you know go and act all day yeah for exactly (laughs) so that's awesome so we have that to look forward to seeing is that what how are we going to watch that when does that come out it's scheduled to come out in February on Hulu okay cool so you should look for that then that's awesome now I would like to know if I put you in your trailer and you had your whole kit with you and I took something away from you that day whether it be a tool or a product what would freak you out what would you not want to work without I never want to be without the YS Park 113 tail comb it's the small (laughs) one the real small one I feel like you can do anything with that I love how many people are attached to their tail combs 
I mean, to be honest, though, a lot of times on set for last looks, I carry around a YS Park hairpin, and that's what I do touches with and a can of hairspray. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In an emergency situation, you can relay a lace and touch up a wig with a can of hairspray and a hairpin if necessary. Because that (laughs) little bit of alcohol in the hairspray, if you need to quickly tack something down for one take, save your life. Oh, shit, Barry. I'd never thought of that. That's very good. (laughs) It reactivates the glue temporarily so that you can get it to lay down. Because sometimes you go in for last looks and you think, oh, I just saw them. They're fine. And then you get in there and you're like, oh, "Oh my God, the lace is lifting. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't bring my set bag. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you've got the hairspray, so you're ready. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not a long term fix, but it'll no. get you through one take. That's awesome. I love it. And who would you like to hear on the podcast? This is someone I've never met, but it's she's someone that I think is such a great hairstylist, and I would love to work with her one day. And I hope I pronounced her name correctly, but Aroxy Lindsay, who won an Emmy last year for her work on Blackish, and yes. she's such a talented hairstylist that I have been following her journey, and I really would love to hear more about just what this business has been like for her. Yeah. I follow her on Instagram. She's, yeah, she's an inspiration. She's awesome. I have reached out to her, so I I may have to harass her a little bit more. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So anyone listening, um, let her actually know that we want her on the the show. (laughs) (laughs) But she's just also a great example of a black female hairstylist who's doing great work and someone that we need to see more of in this industry because that's a huge part of my journey in this industry too, is just to start building more diverse trailers and, Mm -hmm. and opening the doors for more people to have opportunity because it's just, it's easy for everyone to work with the same people all the time. But I think, again, if we're going to continue to learn from one another and do our best work, we need to to work with new people and give other people opportunity to to do their best work as well. Yeah, I know it's scary, guys, to, to you know, <laughs> branch out, but it's worth it. <laughs> it is. But, you know, what the biggest blessing of Pose for me, too, though, is that I now have this huge family of hairstylists in New York. and. Mm. I was new to TV too. So I didn't know a lot of people when I started staffing that show for Mm -hmm. season two. And, you know, I, I relied a lot on my background artists and I would go to holding every day during season two, because we had a shift in the trailer, like after the first few episodes and I needed some more people. And I just would go and hang out and watch people Mm -hmm. work and get to know them. And I just saw people with promise and I, I started hiring people and that, that's what the gift of Pose was, is a, a forever family of new hairstyles that are so talented and amazing and people I wouldn't have met otherwise if I hadn't been open to working with new people. Yeah. And I think that's also a lesson for those working and um, coming in to help with crowd stuff is that there might always be someone watching. <laughs> well, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> The, the crowd hairstylists, they saved the day so many times. Oh, I yeah. mean, so much of the work that we did on Pose season three, I, I had to rely on my, my background supervisors because we mm. just didn't have the time to prep certain things. So like when we did this like 50 foot long braid for one episode, like we didn't have time to prep that in the trailer for this Rapunzel thing. And yeah. my background supervisors, like I gave them a box of braiding hair and they 
they did it on set one day and just made the longest braid they could. And it was, you know, you having a good relationship with those hairstylists is important because those people might be in your trailer the next day. They also might be your department head tomorrow. You yeah. just never know. I always, I'm always blown away when I, uh, this, the odd times I've seen bad behavior and crowd rooms and I'm just like, you do realize that the person next to you could be the one hiring you next time. Like, not that that's a reason to play nicely, but I mean, if, <laughs> If you're not one to play no. nicely, then maybe it is a, a something that will kick you out of being a dick. But <laughs> exactly, and just... especially on these huge period projects that we all are kind of working on right now, mm. there's the biggest and best hairstylists in LA are working in crowd rooms doing background because they have the skill set and they're, yeah, I mean, they're it, free and they and they want to do the work yeah but it's the like people you, said, you want you're just like we need the best <laughs> Get yeah but then two months later they're department heading their own huge movie and you just think i'm so grateful to have these connections and to interact with these talented hairstyles because mm-hmm. they they save us so often by doing background work and then they're so great to work with on another project in the trailer you know it's everyone no one's above anything i think in this industry and i i hope people embrace that a little bit more because we all are part of the team from the bottom to the top no one's no one's dispensable in my opinion yeah i mean you know we're all just doing hair <laughs> at the end of the day we're all just doing hair yeah. exactly <laughs> as great as it is it's all it's all heads of hair and they're they're all the same <laughs> so. yes i agree <laughs> barry it's been so much fun talking to you today um and i really appreciate you being on the show thank you so much i i'm sorry if i rambled on too long but i no, enjoy this podcast so much and loved loved taking the time to do it it was really fun yay awesome thank, thank you, you. To see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.